0: Hope Church. Lord, thank you for your, your word here. I pray that you would help open our eyes to see what you would have us to learn and that you would work in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, again, so we're just coming off this tremendous confession of Peter that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, Jesus just explains to his disciples that he will have to suffer and die, and their Jewish minds are probably still tweaking out a bit, not understanding what's going on. So you are the Messiah, right? The Messiah is supposed to come and reign over Israel, but you're going to die. So he's telling them he's going to be the suffering servant that we see in Isaiah 53 who will redeem Israel and the world, but they can't wrap their minds around what's going to happen, understandably so. And here's three further revelations of who Jesus is in this section and also a reminder of the passion narrative to come. So let's start with the the difficult verse 28. So assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. What in the world is He talking about? You just said that, he's, that he, he had just spent time explaining to His disciple that He's going to die, and then He talks about another coming, and now He talks about He's going to die, there's another coming, but some of you guys are not going to die until... Uh, some of the, some of those listening are not going to die until they see this kingdom coming How, I, I'm sure there's just incredible confusion even though he's telling them all these sh- truths and this verse itself is much debated through human history I mean, did Jesus get it wrong? no, that's not the case um, this statement, this exact same statement is recorded three times in scripture we have it in Matthew 16, 28 here it's also Mark 1 it's also in Luke 9, uh, 27 and there is, you know, and the, these different gospels put things in different order. You know, Luke sets out to kind of do things chronologically. Matthew's making points with the things that he says. Uh, each author kind of uses what they put in there, even when they're telling about the same story, um, to make their point. But in all three of them that tell the story, the next verse is essentially a week later the transfiguration. So I think that there's no accident that this verse is this verse is talking specifically about the transfiguration. And those few disciples we'll read about in the next verse 1 is Peter, uh, James, and John. But some preterists and amillennialists use this uh, verse kind of as a proof text um, that most of the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation have already come to pass. So there's some people that believe that you know, Jesus already came back in His second coming. Um, if you're here, you missed it, or we're in this millennial kingdom. There's a lot of weird teachings that come about if you think that everything that about the end times has already happened, but I don't think that's at all what Jesus is getting to here. He's talking about this transfiguration in the next verse, uh, verse seventeen one. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up a high mountain by themselves. So now in, in Matthew here it says uh, after the six days, and Mark it says after six days, Luke says about eight days. I think all of, and so if you read through those, you might be like, what's going on? I think all of those are kind of um, Probably idioms of the time to say about a week later, not to give the not not that the specific date is so important, but about a week after this happens, uh, about a week after Jesus tells them that he's going to die and that he's going to be coming back and that some people will see him before they pass, um, it's only a week later that this event happens. Um, And Jesus takes his inner circle, we see Peter, James, and John. Um, and this, some of you, again, from verse 16-28 would be those three. Other, there's a lot of verses in the New Testament where we see this kind of inner circle um, set apart from the other disciples. We see it in chapter two thirteen, in 4-5, in twelve forty five, and then here again in chapter 17. So for some reason, I don't, and I don't know exactly why, um, I don't know if these men had some deeper spiritual understanding or something that Jesus needed to encourage them with specifically. Um, I don't think Jesus is p- playing favorites because we look at James. He's one of the first disciples to be martyred. And he's one of the first ones to lose his life. It uh, doesn't really, t- In a human sense, it doesn't turn out well for any of the disciples. They all have very hard lives. Um, and then also, they climb up this mountain. There's a question, which mountain is it? Is it Mount Tabor, Mount Hermon, Mount Miran? We don't, don't know 100% for sure, and it doesn't tell us, so I don't think it's that important. But they go up this mountain, and then Jesus is transfigured before him. You know, his true deity burst forth through his humanity. The, the Greek word is morphem. It's not, some like, it's not like a change in his, just physically what you see, but he actually let his, uh, his appearance uh, of his divinity shine through. And it must have been quite something to see. Um, you know, we have this later story coming up here in, in the same passage at the end of 17, talking about taxes. I always think it's funny when you hear about taxes in the Bible. There's two times here where taxes are mentioned, and um, the other one that's mentioned is chapter 22, uh, verse 15 through 22, which we'll get to in a few a few weeks. But that's what that sh- that that one section is one of my favorite sections of scripture because um, at that point the Pharisees are trying to t- trap Jesus. They say, "Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar?" Right? And and to us it might be like, "What's the big deal? How are you going to trap him with that?" Well, if Jesus says. Yeah, it's cool to pay taxes to Caesar. All the all the super religious people that might be paying taxes because they have to will be will say, "Man, that can't be right because Caesar's a bad guy." I mean, Caesar killed people. Caesar was a murderer. I mean, if you think, I mean, really think about the situation. It would be more like you know we talk about colonization, right? And think of English colonization of South Africa or India. You're like, "Man, that was bad stuff." This other country that sh- and, and now this is another. You know, another kingdom that should have no power over the chosen people of Israel is in charge over them and telling them what they have to do and collecting taxes. And they're doing really bad stuff with that money. They're taking other. other. So it wouldn't be, I mean, it would be like if we were, you know, living in a totally terrible regime and Christians were like, do we pay taxes? Because, dude, they're like killing people with this money. They're taking over land. They're doing all this stuff. And it's funny what Jesus says. So if Jesus says, yes, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, the religious people would be like, we got you. If he says, no, I don't pay taxes to Caesar, they can go like, Caesar, you need to come arrest Jesus because he's teaching people that you don't have to be taxed. So they're purposely trying to catch him in this catch-22. And uh, Jesus says this amazing thing. Now, let's be honest, first of all. Don't you all kind of honestly wish that he'd have been like, no, nah, I man, you don't have to pay taxes? That would have been the nice answer, right? You don't have to pay taxes. No, but what he says is, uh, he says this amazing thing. He says, give me a coin. And whose, whose emblem is on this coin? Whose image is on this coin? And they said, that image on that coin is Caesar's. And he says, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. You give to God what is God's. And that's such a, and he leaves it open. I mean, that's just open, right? But the real question that leaves, for all the, all the people that are trying to catch me be like, oh, that's tough. I can't catch him on either side of this one. But what belongs to God we do. We are made in the image of God. You know, the earth wasn't made in the image of God. Cats dogs weren't made in the image of God. We, we see clearly in Genesis that human beings were made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So the cool thing is, with that, that... I mean, there's a, there's a, a quote from a, a band called Thrice, a punk band I used to love to listen to. But it says, we're more than carbon and chemicals. We're the image of the invisible. You know, we're not just lumps of stuff. We're not just time plus matter plus space plus chance. We're not just a uh, you know a blob of biology. Um, we are here intentionally, and God has His image on us. So, if you pick up a coin and look at that, you know you might have. I don't know if anybody even has coins anymore. But you got Abraham Lincoln, you got whoever on there. Great, you know. In a sense, that's not you know that's theirs. Let them have it. When you look into a mirror next time, remember that's the image of God, and um, and you are who He made you to be. Um, a lot of us, we have to... We're, and then also, we all suffer under the, under different things. You know, we're not... None of us are perfect, and we all have this sin nature, and we ha- all have these struggles that we're dealing with. But the cool thing is, God made us in His image, and He's given us the remedy for all of that. So one day, all the, all the imperfections will be made perfect, um, uh, especially from within. Uh, so, you know... As unique as we all are as humans, the reason I bring this up, you know, we're all, we, I think sometimes we forget our uniqueness and our humanity. Um, we're, this is the one situation where this unique humanity is standing on top of a mountain with a unique human who's also deity, and he lets his deity shine through his humanity. And I can't even imagine what it's like. It had to be one of, you know, you're telling a story like, us oh, when you had to be there. That's de- this is definitely like the ultimate, you had to be there. Because you can tell somebody this, and it's not something that you could understand unless you experienced it, right? The cool thing is, one day we will experience it. One day we will get to see uh, Jesus in his deity bursting through face to face. So to continue, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Um, you know, we have a little bit more insight in Luke's account. He writes that uh, the three disciples were sleeping so it is possible, I mean, it's possible that transfiguration happened at night. I don't know. I mean, it's possible that, you know, they said, let's climb up this mountain. They go walking up this mountain, get to see the whole promised land, see this, the, the sun go down um, and, the, and, and the moon come up on, on all of Jerusalem and the promised land and then get this amazing light and this amazing, um, this thing that they're allowed to see from Jesus. It must have been quite dramatic. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if it was day or night, but... What what an amazing what an amazing experience in verse three and behold Moses and Elijah appeared to him talking with him so why Moses and Elijah you know I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure um, we have Moses was the lawgiver so you know and these are good Jewish guys they know their Old Testament um, so we have the lawgiver and we have Elijah who's kind of like the first of like the uh, the power prophets and so we have both the law and the prophets in some way. You know, paying homage to Jesus right here, as they do in actual Scripture, the Law and the Prophets point towards Jesus. We've got Law and Prophets hanging out with Jesus. Um, while, they, while they were chosen, I'm not exactly sure, it doesn't say, but it is something that amazed these disciples. Uh, and they, the interesting thing is they recognized Moses and Elijah. I, I don't know how they recognized him. Maybe Jesus was like, what's up, Elijah? You know, I, I, mean, I, I, don't, I, I doubt it was that type of greeting. I don't know how they recognized him, but it was very apparent that these shining guys were uh, Moses and Elijah. Which is just um, amazing. So, Peter, uh, verse 4. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. You know, I love Peter. He's always a guy like hopping up and taking charge. No matter what happens, like while this is happening... Uh, Peter hops up and, 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 and says, let's take him in charge. And I hear a lot of preachers talk about, and I was, I was saying this this morning, I hear a lot of preachers talk about, yeah, I can totally associate with pre- G- Peter because I'm always taking charge and put my foot in my mouth. I'm like the exact opposite. I'm, I'm like, I, I always associate with like the disciple that nobody writes about. That's like, you know he's one of the 12, but he sits back and watches Peter do that. I'm like, all right, you have fun with that, buddy. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and is still back there confused. You know what I mean? That's, uh, that's me. But Peter's always taking charge. And here, here he does this. Um, and the feast of feast of booths was near, so maybe that's what he had in mind. You know, or possibly I, I don't know 100, percent but or possibly maybe Peter wanted this ultimate experience to continue. Right? You imagine like what he's just witnessed. You know, he's got to be like, "This is amazing. We've been waiting for the kingdom. We, our people have been waiting for this forever." And I see a glimpse into this kingdom. Jesus before was talking about dying. How about we put, put up some tabernacles? and We just hang out here. I mean, I don't know if that was what was going through his mind. It might have been. Um, it might be another get thee behind me satan moment. I mean, I don't know. Um, but it's amazing, you know, that this heavenly kingdom had just burst forth on the scene and they're getting to see it with their very eyes. I'm sure they would love to stay and enjoy it. Uh, but verse 5, while he was speaking, so as Peter's speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased to hear him. Now that's, Oof, that's amazing. This is the second time that such a voice occurs in the life of Jesus. The first was at the baptism of Jesus, if we remember from back in Matthew 3.17. You know, and I think this is really less for Jesus and more for the disciples. You know, He's showing them this. He could do this any time if he wanted, but he's showing this to them. And then the Lord thunders a voice out of heaven. This is my son. He's told you all these things that are going to happen. You're expecting a kingdom to come right now. He's going to suffer and die. Listen to him. Listen to him, And, um, and I'm sure that just had to be uh, overwhelming as we see that they'll fall to their faces. This really is you know, a real grace to these disciples. We don't look, I think sometimes we read through this and don't look at it that way, like what a grace this is. Here's three disciples that are about to have a really hard life. I mean, you know, they stumble a few steps, but then once the ascension happens, they have the gospel, they're going to spread the gospel, they're all going to suffer, most of them will be killed. There's there's not there's not like, you know, fame and fortune ahead of them. It's, gonna, it's hard. And um and Jesus is I mean, the Lord is giving them such a grace by giving them this voice, something they can look back to in a difficult time, remembering, you know what? I'm not sure about a bunch of things. I don't like these chains, I don't like these whips, but I remember hearing God speak to me on that mountain, you know. And um and this is, this is quite a grace for them. And then verse six verse six, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. So yes, you hear God speak. Because nobody, I mean, nobody here has heard that like, audible thundering voice, especially looking at Jesus and Elijah and the disciples in their glory. It would be like, all right, I, I'm done. You know, Faint time. And if we remember from the Old Testament, uh, Sinai and Exodus 33, to see God was to die. It, um, and we see many times in the New Testament that nobody has seen God. Uh, John 1.18, there's many other scriptures that nobody has seen God and lived. Um, not in his full glory, anyway. Not completely laid bare. Um, nobody, nobody in their sinful flesh could see that and survive. Um. Uh, and again, you know, this could have been night. It could have been day. We're not one hundred percent sure. But either way, they're freaked out. They fall to their faces. Jesus says, "Arise!" And then in verse eight, when they lifted uh, up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Only man. I mean, experience. I mean, a lot of us have had some cool experiences. And some stuff that probably tripped us out in the past. But I don't think, I mean, none of us have seen anything like that. And that's definitely one of those ultimate you-got-to-be-there ones. And um, the exciting thing is that one day we get to see it, you know. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 9, I'm sorry. Uh, And I also wonder too, now they're coming back down the mountain. I wonder how much, was that like the the quietest talk? We see that Jesus talks to them and they ask him some questions. But I mean, after that I would be like, uh, what? What, what you know? Where do you where do you go from there? What do you say? Now, as they come down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, uh, "Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead." And you're like, "Really?" You know. Now we have multiple warnings in Matthew for people not to tell what they've seen and heard from Jesus. Whether it's people that have been healed, this is the last such warning. But this one comes with an until. So he wants them to tell this, but not until. The Son of Man is risen from the dead. So don't go tell everybody this now. It's not time. The Gospel is not complete. God is going, Jesus is going to lay down His life. He will be raised from the dead. Then they're going to be preaching, and He's going to ascend to heaven. Then they'll be preaching the good news that Jesus died for sins. He's raised. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And look, I'm going to tell you what I saw uh, when it happened. It, the timing wasn't right, um, but the timing will come. And again, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. We've discussed that many times, uh, his favorite self-designation. And verse 10, And the disciples asked him, saying, Uh, This is still coming down off the mountain. The disciples asked him, saying, Why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. Now this must be an interesting thing. So here's one the scribes got right. You know Jesus is bla- uh, you know uh, consistently blasting some of the scribes and teachers of the law because you, you, you have these verses and you totally uh, misrepresent them. This one they had right. Uh, Malachi 4, 5 and 6 says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So, and then Jesus says, so Elijah is coming to destroy, I mean, to restore all things like, like we hear in Malachi and other verses in the Old Testament. The disciples must have been scratching their head and wondering what things have been restored. And verse 12, but, Jesus, but, but I say to you that Elijah has come already. They did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke of John the Baptist. So John came and prepared the way now one thing that's inter- that's good to note because you might remember this uh, from john t- uh, john one twenty one through twenty five um, John himself says that he 's not elijah uh, he was a- confronted by a group of Pharisees in Jerusalem, and some people had been murmuring when he was you know he's teaching in the desert i mean he was teaching living in the desert uh you know living off wild honey and locusts, wearing strange clothes. He was this out-there guy that everybody considered a prophet, and he was out there preparing, saying, you know, make straight the way of the Lord, saying that somebody's going to come after him, uh, who's going to set wrongs to right. And so everybody thought that he was some sort of prophet, and some people thought that he was Elijah reincarnated like is in Malachi. So they actually asked him straightforward, are you Elijah? And he's just, nope, you know. And so, I, And so when you see that, don't get confused, because I think... Uh, that you know, John the Baptist is right. Somebody asked him, "Hey, are you Elijah?" He's like, "No, dude, I'm, I'm John." You know, <laughs> but so he's not. The, they, he's not uh, Elijah come back to life. But Jesus is also right, saying that he's pro- fulfilling this prophecy about Elijah. It's not necessarily that this dead Elijah is going to walk the earth again. It is that the spirit of Elijah will come, proclaiming what is right, like Elijah did, and uh, preparing the way of the Lord like Elijah did in the Old Testament, this person came and prepared the way for Christ. And this is John the Baptist. The bad news is that John was not treated very well. He, was, uh, he, he, was, he suffered and died at the, at the hands of sinful people, and Jesus tells him that that's going to happen to him too. Um, and if we remember Jesus, when he's talking about who will be the greatest and the least in the kingdom, says that there's no one that's ever walked this earth that's greater than John the Baptist, which is quite an amazing thing to say. John the Baptist even says that he's not fit to tie the shoes of the Christ. So, you know, great man, ba-da-ba-da, you know, but both of them suffer and die at the hands of people, which is just amazing, you know. When, when it's all said and done, when we're calculating what's important, you know, money and fame and all those other things don't measure up to following what God has laid out for you. Um, let's look at verse 14. And again, this is, you know, disciples still being prepared for what they must suffer and the message that they're going to carry. Uh, and that's further insight for them there. So verse 14, When they had come to a multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, So they come down from the mountain, and I don't know how long it is, but they, they already come, come out into a bit of a ruckus. And verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. He suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. So I brought uh, him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And we see here from other scripture and also from Jesus saying that he cast out a demon that the people didn't realize, maybe they did or did not necessarily realize that this was a demon, but this guy would shake and be thrown into the fire, thrown into the water. Um, it was just a terrible, terrible situation. Um, and Jesus rebukes him. Um, And then also, too, if we remember from Matthew chapter 10, the disciples had been given the power to cast out demons. So that has already happened, and we see them doing it without a whole lot of problem up until now, and then all of a sudden they seem powerless. Um, And it might have been quite a surprise even to the disciples, like, uh, we just tried this, and it always works, and it just didn't work, you know. So it had to be maybe, you know, this is a little off. In verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long... Shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And he, in this rebuke, he, Jesus borrows heavily from language in Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, verse 20. And also, if we remember um, from Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted in the desert, he quoted from Deuteronomy five times. So he's, Jesus knows Deuteronomy like frontwards and backwards. He can probably quote you the whole book. Um. And he uses that language when he's when he's uh, rebuking them. Now the scary thing is just to think about the fact that there are demons in our world, right? And that um, that's a scary thought. It's encouraging for us as believers to know that that can't that they can't take over us and rule us because we, you know, Christ has reign over us. We're we're free from that. But it always makes you scratch your head and say, why, why don't we see more of this if we see it kind of in Scripture? Well, I think, I think, I mean, this is just Derek talking. I think one of the reasons is that demons and the evil one are not foolish. And if you talk to people that work in third world countries or work, work in other places, uh, there are, I mean, a lot of missionaries have seen demon possession. I think even Mr. Chet has witnessed and Maybe some of you have on, on, on missionary trips in pla- to other places, and um, which it is incredibly scary. Um, but I think that the that you know the the, the enemy is not foolish because in this time very close knit com, com, communities. If somebody had a demon, everybody knew everybody in in these cultures. So imagine in our culture somebody that everybody well knows. We we have a very like separated culture, so it's not not quite the same. But imagine somebody everybody knows, whether it's like the mayor or the son of the mayor or somebody that owns a big business in town. They're perfectly fine, and then one day. They start doing all kinds of crazy stuff and speaking crazy and everybody's like, well, they've just lost their mind. They put them in a, and, you know, they put them in a hospital bed somewhere in a gurney. Some, maybe they give them a bunch of medications. They seem to be doing better. And somewhere they're out in public at a, I don't know, some event where there's just people all around and, they, and the demon starts yelling and screaming and everybody's freaking out and somebody says, in the name of Jesus, come out of him and all of a sudden he shakes, falls to the ground, takes a deep breath and stands up in his light like, and starts crying like, oh my gosh, I'm free. For the first time in six months, I'm free. You know, Everybody would be like, what you know, and then like if they saw very much that he was perfectly fine after that, a bunch of people that might have questioned spiritual things might be like, "Did you see that?" Like, I'm not, I think there might be something to this, Jesus. You know that that would almost be like it would almost be more of a witness to uh, to the fact of what Jesus can do um, more than what destruction they're doing. So I think that. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's one reason I think we don't see so much of it in the developed world versus what you see in, in, in countries where it's not as well uh, as much as much public. Um, but again, we don't. For those of us that know Christ, we don't have to worry about that. And in verse eighteen, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. We get a little bit more detail in Mark nine twenty six. The demon threw the boy on the ground. The, the, he screeched. The crowd thought that the boy was dead until Jesus took him by the ha- hand and raised him up. So it was this very dramatic event. Um, and then after that, the disciples come to Jesus and like, like, um, Question, <laughs> why could we not cast him out? In verse 20, Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Does that verse ever trip anybody else out? I remember being like, I remember being a young believer and being at my grandparents' house out in the mountains and be like, Lord, I want to have faith like you want me to have faith, and like pointing at a mountain and be like, All right, Lord, just move it like like ten feet, just enough so I can see it. And like and I would pray real hard and like that mountain doesn't move, and I would go out there the next morning. I, I remember trying that multiple times and be like, Man, my faith is weak, man. I can't even move a mountain ten feet, you know. Um, which is which is fine, but so this is a difficult passage. It's difficult for us now. It was difficult for the uh, for the the people listening at that time. But Oe of little faith is a recurring theme in Matthew. I mean, we see it in chapter six. We see it in eight twenty six and fourteen thirty one and sixteen eight. And here again, um, so the problem is not that these people didn't believe Jesus was somebody special, or even the Messiah. We you know we have Peter's confession there in chapter sixteen. They were true believers, but their doubt. Um, and other things muddy the water. And does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that sounds pretty familiar. Um, you know, and it's funny too, Jesus said, say to this mountain, you know, he's, they just came down a mountain, right? So he's probably talking to about, he's probably pointing at that mountain where he's just transfigured, and said, say to that mountain, or, like, well, it's easy for you, Jesus. You know, but, they're, but these people are still wanting to know, wanting to follow, wanting to have the faith that Jesus wants them to have. And then... Um, you know, is Jesus really advocating for moving mountains? Is that, is that what Jesus is about? Like, now, if all believers really had faith, you know, the whole world, like, all the mountains would just be moved all over the place, and then everything would be great. Now, I don't think Jesus cares if anybody ever moves a literal mountain. I really think that has nothing to do with what he's saying. We see in Isaiah and some other places where mountains are, are likened into troubles and hardships. And these people that he's, ta- t- he's talking to, his disciples, they're going to have troubles like you wouldn't believe going forward. They're going to suffer lashes. They're going to be cut off from people that have loved them. They are going to have just about every kind of hardship that you can imagine in this world going forward. They're going to have some mountains in their path. I mean, some big-time mountains. Um, and uh, But thankfully, the Lord is gracious. And also, another thing that's, that's interesting, so mustard seed, right? This tiny, itty-bitty little seed. It's really funny that he says you have to have faith as a mustard seed. First, he says, he rebukes him because you have a little faith. You only got a little bit of faith. And then he says, you only have to have faith as a mustard seed. And I was like, well, dang, how much, little, like, how much smarter do you have that? Do I have like a fourth of mustard seed? You know what I mean? Uh, what, what's kind of cool, one thing that's cool about this verse, I like the fact that he's like, oh, you have little faith. You must have faith the size of a mountain, you know, or something like this huge, amazing faith to please God. We don't have to have this like outstanding, like crazy faith to please God. We just, we just have to have a little bit, right? Um, he's, they're rebuked for having a little faith, but he's not saying go from a little to amazing, you know, huge, huge, huge faith. It's just like more faith, more faith, you know, a little bit bigger faith. So, you know, are you weak in your faith? Do you do you find yourself praying unbelieving prayers? You know, I, if I was real honest, I admit that I do quite a bit. Um, I know that, you know, we, for years, Tara and I prayed for her sister to come to know the Lord, and I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I was praying for it because I knew we should, not because I was like, Lord, do it and I believe you will, you know. But she she came to know the Lord, which is an awesome answer to prayer. Um, and we've got to remember that Jesus is the object of of, of our faith. You know, nothing is, is too big for him. If we if we sit if we sit in our lives and we're praying for something or going through something and we need wisdom, we need understanding, that mountain, whatever it is, is right in front of you. If you just stand there looking at that mountain and you know, you're not going to have big enough faith to move that mountain. But if we look at Jesus, um, look at Christ, you know, with Him, all things are possible. Um, and then we can say to the mountain, "Be moved." So let's let's increase in our faith. Verse 21, and he says, "However, this kind does not go out." except by prayer and fasting. A lot of you might be staring at your Bible saying, where in the world is verse 21? My Bible goes from verse 20 to 22. If you've got an NIV or a, a many, uh, many different translations, leave verse 21 out. Why in the world would they do that? Well, there, there's some uh, manuscript questions here. If we look at the earliest, earliest manuscripts of the book of Matthew, it doesn't have that statement in it. Some of the later ones do. Here's the kicker. Uh, in the same account in, chap- in Mark, in Mark 9, 29, this verse is there saying how, saying that this kind does not go out with prayer and fasting. And it's there in the Old and the New. So Jesus definitely said this statement at this time. The question is, did Mark originally write it or did somebody that was trans- transcribing it later, I'm sorry, did Matthew originally write it or was somebody that was transcribing Matthew later say, oh, but Mark had the same thing, but he had this verse in there and added in. Um, There's a little bit of question there. That's why a lot of them leave it out. There's no doubt that Jesus actually said this at that moment. But the different writers make, like I said before, make different points by the stories they tell. So some writers give different, um, you know, uh, give different details when they're telling a story because they're telling a story making a point. They were both there. You know, Matthew and Mark are both here at the same instance. Mark's making this point when he's writing. Matthew's making this point. So there's there is a chance that maybe Matthew didn't have that in there, but Jesus did say that at this time. Um, just because I don't want anybody to get confused when, when they see uh, verse 21 missing. Verse 22. Now while they were staying in Galilee, Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. And That is laying it right out. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Now, now Jesus has already said multiple times that he's going to be mistreated like John, that he's going to die, he says in chapter 16. Now, uh, this is probably with Jesus' last trip to Capernaum, and he gives more detail about his death. This time, he's not just saying that he's going to be mistreated, not just that he will be killed... That he's going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and still they don't know exactly what that means. But they're going to be—he's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and then he will be raised on the third day. Says so it right clearly: I'm going to die, but I'll be raised on the third day. Now, that sounds clear as anything. But Jesus says all these enigmatic things all the time, right? So you got a bunch of guys sitting there, like, do you, do you get it? Do you get it? Uh, it doesn't say right here, but we know from the from the other accounts um, that the. Uh, we see it in Mark and Luke that the disciples did not fully understand what he was saying, but they were afraid to ask him. And I can imagine so. This guy says he's going to die and be raised again on the third day. Who's going to raise you? How does that work? You know. So they probably have a ton of questions, but they're just going to be quiet because they're like, they're going, to, they're going to pull the Derek thing and just like let this play out instead of sticking their foot in their mouth. You know what I mean? Um, I'd still stick my foot in my mouth. That's terrible. But um, so, so the disciples are playing it cool, but they don't quite understand what he's saying. And we see later that the the disciples are quite surprised to find out when Jesus has risen. When he appears in their their midst for the first time, they're thinking, man, they think he's a ghost. But then after a while, everything seems to click. All these things that Jesus said to them at some point goes, ah, got it, ah, got it, and all these things click. Um, But isn't it kind of nice to know that these people that Jesus handpicked, or that God handpicked to walk with Jesus and learn from him, didn't understand everything. That is, I mean, I, I actually find a lot, you know, sometimes I read this and be like, oh, they didn't get it, oh, they didn't get it. But most of the time I read it and be like, Lord, thank you. <laughs> because there's a lot of things that I don't get or I think I have an understanding of. And, um, and I know deep down that, you know, I, I could be way, way off on this. So it's nice to see that even with people that had things spelled out very clearly for me, it didn't always click right at first until, until it needed to. But for us, let's still act on what we do know. Remind me of what Peter said last week. You know, there's a, lot of things, there's a lot of things we don't know where the Lord's leading us, what we're supposed to do. There's a lot of things in Scripture that are clearly spelled out for what we need to do. So let's act on what we do know, and the things that are difficult, let's leave to faith, and the Lord will make those known to us. And in verse 24, uh, when they had come to Capernaum, those, uh, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Um, now these are some difficult verses too that uh, if read out of context don't make a whole lot of sense. So first when I read this, I had in my mind you know, verse, chapter 22, which is that section that I really like paying, uh, paying uh, taxes to Caesar. And none of this really made any sense. I actually had to do a little bit, bit of digging. But this tax was a temple tax that wasn't paid to the Roman government. This was paid really to the temple essentially. We learn from Josephus and other historians that the Jewish leaders enforced a small yearly tax on men that were 15 to 20, um, excuse me, 20 to 50, 15 to 20, that would be really odd, for 20 to 50 uh, years old, uh, to help offset the cost of the work done in the temple. Running the temple had a lot of expenses. You go there a lot, so you pay a yearly tax and you can come and, and, you know, worship in the temple. So, you know, Peter's you know, he's a good follower, and he's like, and Jesus always follows the rules. So he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus pays the temple tax. And it's also interesting, too, that when the temple IRS crew come to collect, they go to Peter. So we see again that, you know, Peter has a little bit of a leadership role among the disciples. So this IRS crew comes to Peter, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we, we pay the taxes. Oh, yeah. And, um, and then in verse 25, and when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, I love that Jesus, you see that so many times in Scripture. So, uh, so Peter's coming in like, I ain't got no money. Jesus probably ain't got no money. We always broke. We got to pay this tax. I said we pay the tax. Do we really? You know, I don't even know what he's thinking. He's walking into this house and be like, I don't know what am do. to go ask Jesus. You know, he, he calls the shots, right? So he's walking in this house, and while he's coming in to ask Jesus, Jesus anticipates him and says, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Well, let's think. Does uh, Caesar's kids have to pay taxes? I'm thinking probably not, right? So he says, Peter says, from strangers. Now, this is what makes this statement of Jesus so amazing that you have to read into it. If we remember, you know, Jesus is the one who the temple points to. If we remember in our study of study of Hebrews, a lot of the imagery from inside of the temple points directly to Jesus. It was God's plan. You know, from the foundation of the world, that the temple would be temporary. And after Jesus ascends to the Father, He would be the high priest forever, uh, interceding on our behalf. This earthly temple was going to be supplanted by Christ Himself. Um, now, there's is, there is going to be future... Temp- there's other things that happen too, but this temple itself is temporary, and Jesus is taking its place. Um, so... If anybody should not have to pay a temple tax, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is walking in the temple, like, hey, buddy, you got to pay to get in here. Like, pay to get in here. This is this is about to be gone, and it's going to be me, right? Like, what I to gotta pay. So that's what Jesus, the point that Jesus is making is him, you know, himself, who he is. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, he doesn't want to uh, offend anybody. So Jesus says to him. The, then the sons are free or exempt. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So the, the sons are free or are exempt. So Jesus does, should not have to pay this tax. But he says, I will pay it anyway, because he cares for the souls of those that don't understand. He's not there to offend just for offending sake. You know the, the fact that these, you know, the fact that he is coming to fulfill all these prophecies and make this major tidal shift in how, uh, and how uh, worship is going to happen on this earth to the true and living God, he doesn't want to offend people further in that. And also, just, just I'd also like to say, if I had Jesus' powers, I'd be rich. I'd be a rich dude. So he can make like a penny or like a coin appear out of a fish's mouth, like boom, right? Um, yeah, so I would have like money coming out of everything. And uh, I would like, I would probably just have money coming out of my phone. Hey, you, hey, you got 20 bucks? Sure, I do. Hang on. Doo, 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 doo. Here's 20 bucks. I would probably have, you know, like the, uh, the, the, the new uh, commercial where you just buy stuff with your face, right? I would have unlimited buy stuff, anything with your face, and it would like arrive that moment. Oh, I'd like that. Oh, it's at the door. You know what I mean? I would, I would never, you know, if I had those powers. Well, and what, what does that prove? That I mean, really, if, if I could make money come out of anywhere, it's like, well, I wouldn't want to be like a super, super millionaire, but I could have a lot of money and do a lot of really good things, have, some, have a nice truck, have a cool studio, sweet house. If I could just like make money happen, you know what I mean? And then also like support a bunch of missionaries and do some other good stuff, you know? So, like, that would be like my, if I had that power, that would be like the first thing I'm thinking. Out of everything in the world, I could be thinking about anything. That would be the first things I'd be thinking, right? What does that prove? Um, well, that proves that my mind is on earthly things, you know? And, uh, you know, Jesus talks to his disciples sometimes and says, Are you still so dull? We have Jesus, the Son of God, comes to this earth. Could, you know, he steps out from like, I mean, riches and richness in a way that we can't understand because there's probably not monetary switching of things like, like we have here. He could, he could have had everything that he wanted. He could have at least made himself comfortable through his existence on earth, but he didn't. He could have made extra money come up to give to poor people. He could have just been like giving a ton of money to poor people all the time. Dude, this person doesn't have a house. Make it rain. You know what I mean? Buy you a house. You know. But he doesn't do that. I mean, he could have healed people and said, here, pay off all your debts your mom's debts, here, pay this to the temple. I mean, he could have done, I mean, you're thinking what his power was. with, I mean, he could have done anything he wanted to, but he didn't because that wasn't the main point. The main point's this, not this, right? Um, you know, and so Peter is obedient here to this command to go and throw a hook in the water. I'm wondering if Peter even baited that hook. Do you, I, was, I was thinking about that. So he says, go drop this hook in there. I mean, are you, is, he going, is he going fishing as normal? I think they were normally net guys, right? But he's going to bu- hop, drop this hook in the water. Um, I wonder if his faith had gotten, like, the mustard seed status yet. So he's like, I'm not even baiting this thing. I'm just dropping it in here. <laughs> or, or, if he was, or if he was still, like, below that. I don't know. Um, uh, but but even still, even though he was told this is going gonna to happen, I mean, it's just, it would blow my mind. Jesus says, go do this thing that's going to be amazing that I thought of while you were walking in here in response to the little question you had. You're like, okay. And even while you're doing it, it's got to be amazing, right? Like So Jesus says, drop a hook. There's going to be a, a coin in a fish's mouth. <laughs> All right? Well, I've seen some pretty amazing things this last week. Let's do it, right? And it <laughs> happens, right? And you open this large mouth bass's mouth, and by golly, there's a, there's a big old coin right there. And thus, and the perfect amount to pay for Jesus' tax and your tax to go worship in the temple. Not enough to do anything like, you know, not even a little play money to do something fun on the side, right? But, but even still, just what was that like? I mean, who are, who are we dealing with here? You know, what kind of person or who has that kind of power? And who ha- if they had that much power would do something that way? Give any random good person a lot of power. Who would do that? I mean, look, you got this amazing power, and you can do anything to change this world you want to. I'm going to make a coin a fish, appear in a fish's mouth. That's what I'm going to do. You know what I mean? It's like, what? It's not one of these guys are always having their mind blown, because like if, if they were thinking, I have Jesus' power for a day, what am I going to do? I'm going to make a coin appear in a fish's mouth and pay a tax. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, Who are we dealing with? Well, the answer is we're dealing with God, God in human form, who's building up the faith of these disciples. Because these disciples are about to have it worse than any of us are going to experience in this lifetime. You know, Jesus himself is going to go to Jerusalem to be killed. He could avoid that if he wanted to, but he's not going to. He's going to be obedient to death, even death on the cross. He's going to spill his blood for all mankind. And then he's going to uh, rise from the dead. You know, it's just uh, the it, man. It's just reading through this, it's just it's just amazing. I mean, it really is. It's one of the. These are all definitely you have to be there moments. And I, and I imagine at the time, you know, these people, these followers, are having their minds blown. And then everything goes south. It seems when Jesus goes to the cross and is suffered and treated wrong, and they see this guy who at one moment is standing with Elijah and Moses in his glory. Another moment is healing a kid that has a demon that they can't cast out. Another moment is, you know, having them pull a coin out of a fish's mouth, and then he's going to go be mistreated and he's going to die. And from these sorry folks that don't even get it, you know. Um, and I know that that has to be crushing to them. And then what he does say does happen. He comes back to life on the third day. He shows himself to them. He does ascend to the Father and all these things that they have in their all these things they have in their memory are all like, oh man, yes, 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 yes. This really is the one son of the God. He really is the Savior. He really is who he says he is. He really will come back, and he really will reign in glory. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know where you are this morning. Um, if you know Jesus as he wants to be known. Um, but I can tell you he's, he's good. He's a loving God. And he's so gracious with us that even while we, while we mess up and while we can make a wreck of things, he can, he can put the worst situation to right, you know, and that's just, I see how he deals with situations throughout the scripture, uh, in his power, but with grace for the people made in the very image of God. And that's us, um, so wherever you're at today, you know, if, you're, if you're struggling in your walk with Christ, you know, pray for more faith. Um, if you do not yet know Jesus, really and truly, you know this morning can be the morning that you say, Lord, I believe that Jesus is who He says He is. I want to know Him in a one-on-one, real way. Um, and you can, even this morning, put your faith in Jesus, and He can change your life, because He can. He's been doing it for 2,000 years and He will continue to do it into the future. So let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much. Um, We we thank You for You, Lord. We thank You that we have breath in our lungs and we know that's from You. We thank You so much that You loved us so much that even while we were sinners, You sent your, Your only Son to this world and He would suffer and die at the hands of sinful people and that he would show us how to how to love others how to pray how to have faith in you and what you desire what is right what is wrong and lord we want to be your people and we want to follow after you we want to take up our cross and follow jesus we thank you that he was the the i thank you that he was the first one into the grave and back into life eternally and we'll get to follow into life because of what he's done for us Lord and so we give you thanks for that and we pray for that this time um, that you would bless it um, as we take the bread and we take the cup that we would remember what you've done for us uh, that you would forgive us for our sins Lord we thank you that you already have that you've separated them as far as the east is from the west Uh, and that we are clean because of what you've done. And we remember that this morning. Pray that you would be with the rest of our time and that you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.